Okay, and that sound means we're here for another Red Eye. Welcome to Red Eye, a conversation series where V and I sit down and have the type of conversation you would have on a Red Eye flight late at night when the world is asleep. All sorts of thoughts can pop into your mind, and we keep things thoughtful and entertaining as we discuss these ideas. V, man, it's good to be sitting next to you on the plane. Sorry I had to make you take the middle seat here. Um, Today, I think we got something hot to talk about. Uh, I feel like nothing is ever out of the news with this man, but Kanye West, uh, congratulations to him on his first runway show appearance and at the same time was able to drum up the signature controversy he's known for by wearing and having uh, models wear a White Lives Matter t-shirt. Instant, instant internet, you know, sensation and conversation that that has emerged out of this. Uh, What was your take when you saw this? It's the same take I always have. It's like, it's it's pretty uh, <laughs> it's pretty obvious uh, Kanye's mentality and and what he tries to do to drum up attention now, which is essentially be as shocking as possible and utilize his large media platform to essentially accelerate the shock response to it, um, and also not really caring about and thinking things through from a consequence standpoint or even a moral compass standpoint, just shock, 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 shock by any means necessary. It is on brand, right? It is his brand. It's been his brand. The thing that I find kind of funny is this is the same guy who became famous um when the hurricane hit for getting on live TV and saying George Bush doesn't care about black people. And then the contra- the, the kind of rousing contradiction here in the sense that 20 years later, he's, he's the same guy that's putting out a white lives matter t-shirt. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty ironic to me and should tell you, you know, what the motivation of this guy actually is. Yeah. I was so, so similar to how I felt about it. It feels like, this is one of those things that, yeah, clearly for attention, but at the same time, we've seen Kanye do this so many times. It's just like not that interesting anymore, I think, as the viewer. And you're just like, okay, I get it. Like, you know, you cried wolf, right, enough times. And it still is, I, I'm shocked at how it's still able to become trending on Twitter. Like, people really care about this stuff still. And it's just like, uh, duh, like he wore the Trump hat. He's done, he, he does all the stuff that like he's quote unquote not supposed to do. And at the same time, it's like, I definitely like appreciate it in a sense, because why, why shouldn't you be able to do that? Right. So like, you know, I don't know if his, his point is as thought out about this, but like when I saw it, I was like, yeah, like just the same as I felt with Black Lives Matter. I was like, everyone deserves to have a voice about you know, the, the issues that they go through in their perspective in this world. And seeing a White Lives Matter shirt just doesn't create any sort of emotion in me. It's just like more of a curiosity, like, huh, interesting choice there. And I wonder how people will react to it. Um, but I mean, overall, like, as we've watched the race, you know, kind of conversation of the last several years, like, it's where it's led me is essentially to this point that I feel like everybody is being led to fight each other in as many ways as possible and where this one has always kind of sat with me is like when you have a position of power and authority obviously Kanye is maintaining it by creating this controversy maintaining his influence but is there not 
a value in saying things that bring us together. And it's like, yes, the things that bring us apart, especially the things that really drive a knife into people and make them react will make you money or profit or gain you gain you relevance. But at what point as a creative do you recognize that you've transcended like that initial phase of controversy and you're now in a position where your words, your energy, your influence does in fact impact, you know, millions of people and you could be doing more to bring them together. Like that's, that's kind of where I always go with this. Yeah. I mean, the unfortunate reality is, is that the reason he made this is because he knows it's going to sell. Right. There are, you know, this whole white lives matter thing has been something that's been trumpeted by a lot of white, white supremacy groups. Um, and those people will support this and buy into this. And what's interesting is that he is so willing to call out Black Black Lives Matter for being fraudulent or being a scam, but is not willing to understand that he's also pushing another scam, which is these white supremacy groups, by making this shirt of this nature. And the thing that I think bothers me the most about this scenario, and it's one of the things that confuses me about us as a society and as a people, is that what you just said, is that we actually react to this. The fact that he got the reaction that he won means that the strategy worked. This What he was aiming for, he got out of this, which is attention, outrage, and then also the people who support this that he knows are going to buy it. It's the same thing that Trump did by fanning the flames of racism. There are people out here who feel this way and feel like, you know, still believe in this white supremacy argument that the white people are up here and the rest of us are rung below them. So he knew what he was doing. Um, the thing that bothers me about us as a society is that we continue to react to it, that we care about this thing. And then we also care about these topics through the lens of someone like Kanye West, the fact that we care about him. He hasn't made music that has moved me in decades. Like the reason that I like Kanye West is because he's one of the most talented musical artists that I've ever heard from both a production standpoint and to create songwriting, creation of music standpoint. That's why he's relevant. That's what gained him his relevance. His idea as a fashion icon, cool, yeah, it's there, right? Like he's made some things. But how valuable is that, really, when we look at it? It's valuable from a consum- consumption standpoint, but how much does that really matter, the, the Yeezy shoes and the things that he's done? It's been something that he's he's basically capitalized on consumer culture and the idea of conspicuous consumption to build an ecosystem that drives a lot of revenue to him that his music doesn't. He's probably made a lot more money selling his merchandise and his brand than he's probably generated as a musician. Uh, But again, it just goes to why do we care so much about what this guy has to say about anything is the question that always comes in my mind. Like, you know, and, and the idea of like, you know, the old Spider-Man saying with, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. There should also be great consequences for people who wield that power in ways like this. It's very self-serving, dysfunctional and division, you know, divisive ways like Kanye continues to do. Yeah, I think that's, that's a great take. And it reminds me of the state of a lot of media. We saw this last last week, Netflix put out a uh, Jeffrey Dahmer documentary. And I think it just falls like right under the same line of thought. Like I've always felt like this about horror movies or any horror related murder related concepts in general. You have your murder podcast, the huge fan bases for those people love to see 
why somebody killed somebody else. And it's like, why would we be fascinated in that? Why, yeah. would, why wouldn't we be fascinated in like, oh, why, like, let's focus on how this one person was able to, you know, help their whole village learn to read or something, right? Like that's, that's more compelling to me than trying to understand or I, I just genuinely couldn't care less about this dude or anything about serial killers. Yeah, it's a fascination. It's like a rinse and repeat. We love violence. We love sex, drugs, and alcohol. And I think there's this idea too. I mean, there's this fascination. Human beings, and I've said this to you many times, we're not very <laughs> we're not very good to this earth and we're not very useful. Um, we we do, we create much more damage than anything else. Um, and it's done like this Jeffrey Dahmer thing is the most recent thing, right? Like I'll be honest, you know, we all kind of have curiosities. Like my high school math teacher, I actually went to school with him at Ohio State. And it's like my curiosity comes from like, why the fuck would someone actually do something like this? But then the issue that I have, it's one thing to understand it from a psychological standpoint so that we can correct mistakes and hopefully help people who might have some of these issues that lead them to becoming serial killers later on, helping address, treat, fix those issues. There's a complete opposite issue for me when you try to make these people into celebrities and generate revenue based on just the shock factor of what they did. Um, and, and also, like, these things keep happening. Like, new serial killers are coming. We're having more mass shootings. The more and more we glorify these things, these people do these things specifically because they know that it will generate attention. There's been a movie made about the DC sniper. There's been movies, you know, made about Ted Bundy. There's been, and they all do really, really well. So from a capitalist standpoint, they're going to do what the consumers demand and what, what, the market demands. And that's a reflection on us as people to say, why is it that this is the type of shit that we demand and that we care about, that we value so much and not the other things? We don't value <laughs> value positive stories as much as we do negative negativity and, and, and shit like this. Yeah. I honestly, I couldn't agree more, bro. I think, I think that that's one of the things we have to look in the mirror about in society we have to really consider why do we continue to patronize this stuff and it's like what you take in is is what you put out as well the mm -hmm. more you're fascinated the more you're obsessed with negative media negative content in any direction that's going to be who you are if you're watching you know the polarizing media the ben shapiro's of the world you're going to be shouting like ben shapiro at all your friends you know yeah and it's not a dude that looks like he has that many friends despite where he may be intellectually right or wrong. And yeah. I think that's the thing is like we all get so obsessed with, you know, these these weird kind of like win, lose, kill or be killed kind of like polarized one side or the other mentalities. And we justify it, justify our goodness by comparing ourselves to these people. But the reality is the more you consume of that, the more you become like those people. And it's something that I think you know, a lot of people, a lot of people can look in the mirror and, and really ask themselves the question of, is this affecting who I am as a person and how I treat the people around me? And I think it's very likely that it is. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, there's no way that this doesn't impact you in one way or another. And just consuming negative media in general will lead to a negative mindset, right? Consuming positive mind. This is how your brain works, right? What you eat, 
and what you take in is what is how your mind is going to develop. And it takes a great degree of optimism to survive and be successful um, in life and in this world and just literally even survive. So when you are taking yourself down this path is you're reducing, you know, your your probability of success. Um, the more and more of this stuff you consume, of course, it's different if you are going to become, you know, like a, a criminal psychologist or something, then consume this stuff, learn about these people, you know, but if that's not kind of like the, the area of life you're trying to go into, then why, then why consume it and ask yourself the question of why am I so fascinated by this? Because it's not, this isn't a, it, it wouldn't be this popular if, if, it wasn't a widespread issue that we all have to deal with. Right. Like, so it's not pointing the finger at the people who are consuming this stuff and saying, what's wrong with you? It's what's wrong with us. You know, and that's a very helpful conversation to have with this is not, you know, denigrating people for what they consume, but, you know, starting to have the conversation of why that's so prevalent and how can we change that without, you know, singling anyone out or making anyone feel bad for what they do and how they consume, consume media. It isn't their fault. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, something else I saw as I was browsing social this morning is that, um, you know, I think the suspicion was there all season, but Tom Brady and, uh, Giselle, um, his wife have brought on divorce attorneys. So there was all that speculation as he was coming back into the season that it was against the wishes of his wife and family and it seems that is the case obviously a super disappointing thing and it it really got me thinking like first of all what what would a relationship have to be like where i've never been in a situation where i dated someone who said don't do what you love to do for a living right so i have also never done a job with the physical injury risk of being an nfl quarterback either so I can kind of see both sides to this. I can see the time that you're not spending with your family for 20 years. Your kids are getting older. I can see all these all these things on both sides of you know what I presume to be the case here. But it really just got me thinking like that's that's a challenging thing to be in uh, from from both people's perspective. But would you be if you were Tom Brady, you've done the retirement, you have this kind of agreement that you've made with your wife probably like five years ago that you're going to stop, you know, would you have gone back into the league at the risk of your, your family? Well, I think before, before I answer that question, I think it's important to frame this discussion, right? Like when you get into a marriage or a situation, you need to really properly evaluate who that person is that you're getting into a relationship or a marriage with and where their priorities lie and whether you can live with them. That's one of the frustrating Mm -hmm. things about divorce to me is I feel like it's so prevalent because people, and this is just general in life. I feel like a lot of people make decisions without understanding these big decisions without actually evaluating them because it's just what they're supposed to do. You know, if your primary focus is football and that's what your life is, then, you know, I really like what Derek Jeter did, which was I'm not going to try to do both while I'm my focus is baseball. I'm going to wait until I retire because I know that there, my family is always going to get the short end of the stick as long as I'm committed to this sport of baseball, right? Um, and he was a bachelor, but then soon after he got retired, he started 
his family life. He didn't think about, oh, I, I can't be 40 when I get married. I can't do this. He didn't put all these societal pressures. He actually evaluated and gave context to his individual situation in life and said, this probably isn't the best thing. But I think there's a lot of selfishness that comes into play with this decision making. And quite frankly, Tom Brady in, in, in this scenario wanted to have it all when despite the fact that he knew that he wasn't giving the type of focus that was expected from his partner in terms of their marriage and their treat and the relationship with their kids it's an issue of time management he just doesn't as long as he's football is his primary focus that is his number one love and it's difficult once you start a family for your family to accept hey you know we come second to his career but this is who he's who Giselle knew she was marrying, right? So she can't be surprised that this this is something that he cares so much about that he can't walk away from versus kind of drawing that line in the sand. It's like, how do we create a scenario in which we can we can have it all versus, hey, you're you're not willing to sacrifice. I think they should get divorced. It's 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 the right decision in this scenario because he she's not getting what she wants and for him to do what he loves, which is football, he's got to pay the price. There's a price to pay for that. And I think in society, we have this idea that you're supposed to have it all. But if you look at the statistics on, on, on good parenting, on the divorce rate, a lot of people should not be parents and a lot of people should not be getting married. And so as a society, we have to start having this conversation in a more real and authentic manner about the fact that it isn't for everyone. Yeah, it's a great point. And I think he's also at a point in his career where the financial is really not an element here. It's not an element at all. It's it's purely about passion. And yeah. I, I agree with your sentiment. Like when there's nothing else in the mix, he'd rather be playing football than be with his family. And yeah. so it's exactly what you said, like probably shouldn't have started the family. Yeah, you know, probably wasn't the right decision at that time. And I think this is something a lot of people struggle with, especially in this current generation that's going through this right now, is that people got into marriage based on the idea of marriage and the idea of when they felt like they were supposed to get into it. But it wasn't like a thoughtful choice based on maturity of relationships and understanding what you want out of your life and knowing whether you're ready for that or not. And, you know, we have this this large divorce rate, I think divorce being an option is a good thing for people who have got into marriage for the right reason. I think a high divorce rate doesn't mean marriage doesn't work. It just means that we have, we as a society have chosen to enter marriages for the wrong reason en masse. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, and I think that as we go forward, I mean, it's obviously, it's a tough situation whenever you see a family, you know, go through this and you never want it to happen for anyone, but, you know, rooting for, Rooting for them, hopefully this is, if, if they're meant to split, it's smooth. You know, if they're meant to get back together, hopefully that process is smooth. But hopefully they, they both get the joy that they need out of this situation. Yeah, yeah. and there's, it's the whole idea of preventative care, right? Because the thing that's frustrating about these scenarios is is the collateral damage that occurs nobody really thinks about in a marriage. Once you have kids, like when you get divorced, you're making a selfish decision. And you have to own that you're making a self very selfish decision. 
you know, it's like, they, you know, husbands and wives get mad, but you guys decided to get married and have children. The moment you divide that household, there are consequences and repercussions for those kids who did not make your make that decision for you. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's the thing that's frustrating about these scenarios is I feel like we're very, we make, everything is built out of selfishness. And the idea of having kids should be a very unselfish decision. It should come at a time when you realize what that decision entails, which is that you have to be willing to compromise your self-interest for that child. And if you're not willing to do that, don't have kids just because you want to have some cute children. Yeah. Yeah. So well said, you know, have kids because it's time for you to put your full energy into helping another human being and soul propagate yep. in this world. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the only reason to do it. Yeah. Um, I, I think, yeah, I think that's, that's really well said. Um, another kind of NFL topic, you know, while we're, while we're over here um, on this side of things is uh, the concussion that happened with Tua a couple weeks back. So we called it last week. We were like, dude should not have been playing after that hit. I think everybody who was watching the game felt that way. And it was all over social that, you know, kind of people were like, hey, he shouldn't be playing. Played on Sunday. Then again, has a Thursday night game. Gets hit out in the hospital. And then he's on this flight back. It seems like the entirety of the situation is it's completely being handled by people who are underestimating the severity of a concussion and brain injuries and what they can do to you. Um, just even hearing the coach talking about how Tua is sitting next to him on the flight home watching a movie, you know, concussion protocol 101 is no screens. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So it's like you see you see a dude who also on the field exhibited this very terrifying symptom of brain trauma where his fingers curled up. They show that replay like nine million times. Um, bro, like this was tough to watch, man. It was really, really tough to watch. And at that point, I turned off the game. It just kind of soured me on watching football for the night. And uh, I felt like we're a lot past this. But this organization and all the people involved in it don't seem to really be understanding the seriousness of the roles and the decisions they're making. Because for someone like Tua, you know, we see the effects with so many players, whether it's suicides later, whether it's erratic behavior you know, we could talk about Antonio Brown flashing a bunch of people in a hotel last week, but there's just a huge amount of evidence of how dangerous concussions and head trauma can be. And yet, you know, it was handled extremely casually by the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, this is a this is a topic that's pretty frustrating for me personally because it's a conversation I've been having with myself for the last few years because anybody that knows me knows how much I love the sport of football, the strategy. Every element of football is something that I'm deeply passionate about. You'll find me on Saturday watching the college football games, on Sunday watching all the NFL games. Um, I love the sport, but that does not it's been very challenging over the last few years as these things have come out to say for me to continue to watch because, you know, the one of it is the handling of these scenarios, but the truth is the way that the sport is played, no matter what helmet you put on, if that type of impact happens um, head to ground, you know, there's always going to be a likelihood of a concussion. And then the post-operative care, the, pro the problem that I have with the way football views in the NFL has viewed it, it's, it's, there's two angles that they care about. One is, um, 
mitigating and minimizing their personal liability, and then also setting protocols in place. Um, their goal is to try to get the guy to stay on the field. That's what their ideal outcome is. It's not to, you know, rule them out. So then you create a, a structure where, you know, yes, all physicians and medical med- physicians have to take a Hippocratic oath to care about care about the the patient or the player first. But there's a preponderant sort of evidence. Uh, showing, you know, if you've watched the movie Any Given Sunday, how many of these doctors are compromised by their own personal goals and their salaries and the you know, that at at the per, you know, the the at the team that they they work for. The NFLPA just fired the they have the right, which is a good thing. The NFLPA exercised their right to fire the team doctor um, who who cleared Tua to return last week, but. That's the that's what this really shows is that it was obvious by by the naked eye. If you're a coach or you're anybody in the Dolphins and you see Tua stumbling along like that, why in any situation would you say we need to get this guy back on the field for the second half? It should be, hey, this looks kind of scary. Let's make sure everything's all right. This is one half of football. Let's not put him on the field. And then in addition to that, they say that the likelihood of getting a second concussion after you get a first one increases exponentially. They have a game four days later on a Thursday night. They clear him and have him play. That just shows that they don't, that that idea that these kind of executives and team owners and everybody above these players look at these guys as gladiators and as cattle keeps getting shown to us over and over and over again. Yeah. I think, I think that's such a such a spot on assessment, man. I mean, we've we've seen this story probably way too many times now. And the unfortunate truth, a lot of team doctors, I'm not going to say all, a lot of them are not good doctors. And that's the sad reality within sports. There's a lot of ego required to get to the team doctor position. And, you know, running a business like ours, even saying that in a public place is a very risky thing because it could lead to people having a vendetta against you in this space. And that's, that's the reality of the sports medical space is it's fueled by ego. Many of the doctors are not qualified who are seeing the players and clearing them. And they're also very much financially and what people don't realize is socially incentivized to put these guys on the field because they want to be at the golf tournament that the owner is throwing of the team. They want to be at all the hoity-toity social stuff and you know it's it's at the cost of the players yep you know let's take let's take a quick um quick few seconds and then we will be back to uh wrap this up with our final topic love the pilot boys podcast support us on patreon supporters can pledge as little as one dollar we have some cool perks on there check out www.patreon.com forward slash pilot boys podcast show us some love today awesome and we're back uh last topic um kind of one and a half topics but we'll talk about this with with zach too um love the attention with ryan day and greg Ciano. that the tension that formed on the field the essentially slightly weirdly attempted fight by two guys that aren't in shape to be fighting each other. <laughs> Very funny to see, um, but also fired me up as a fan. Uh, how'd you feel about that during the game V? 
Well, you know, we'll talk about it with Zach, but Greg Schiano was not too happy that he was not considered to become the head coach of Ohio State. He was a defensive coordinator there for, for quite some years. Um, as we all know, Ryan Day was on the offensive side of the ball. Um, there is a competition there even internally between the offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator to win in practice. Um, then you add in that that element, which is Shiano did not like the way that he was um, <laughs> kind of uh, kind of t- taken out of the picture at Ohio State um, when that head coaching job opened. So I think that's the underlying tension that led to it spilling over. Um, they tried to play safe face afterwards and be politically correct and say they have a lot of mutual respect for each other. But the reality is, is regardless of whether Ryan Day said it or not, you can completely under, there is a certain code in football um, and in sports in general, in general, um, to not run the score up, to not do things when the game is in hand, to continue to disrespect your opponent. And from Greg Schiano's perspective, from, you know, even as an Ohio State fan, I think he had the right to stand up for his team and his players in that scenario and be outraged. It's, you know, Ryan Day said that he didn't tell the kicker after, but in the, Afterwards, he said that he didn't tell the kicker to do that. He did that, you know, independently of of any coaching coaching suggestion. But you don't know that in the moment. It just looks like why the hell are these guys faking a punt yeah. on us up forty nine to ten? That's going to piss anybody off in a football game. Yeah, and the commentators actually did a good job calling this one. They were talking about how Shadow came with a punt block. And it collapsed some of the coverage to make the kick riskier than running the ball. And so it was more like it was like the right call from the punter's perspective to do what he did, obviously. Um, But within the context of the game, makes sense why it'd be found disrespectful. So, you know, that was a fun one. Um, Yeah, I think that brings us to the end of our of our red eye segment here. V, this was uh, this was a fun one. Um, But as usual, I. I think we should just remind our audience here to uh, always remember to stay moving and be you. Pilot Boys out.